The Alchemical Tech Revolution is sponsored by Anchor. Anchor by Spotify. That's anchor.fm. Hi folks, this is Wayne McCroy, host of the Alchemical Tech Revolution podcast. I'm here to tell you tonight about Anchor. Anchor is one of the best podcast distribution apps out there. Uh, They offer various ways to create, distribute, and monetize your podcast all for free, and they have some of the best built-in uploading, recording, and editing tools available in the industry. From start to finish, they can help you to set up your podcast. So if you are interested in starting a podcast, check out anchor.fm. Or if you are already a podcaster and you're looking for distribution solutions for your podcast, check out anchor.fm. Come with me.
Listening to the Alchemical Tech Revolution, and I am your host, Wayne McCroy. Good evening, everyone. Tonight, I'm going to ask you a question Are you trusting the science yet? Do you know who it is that uh, puts forward the science and the policy uh, behind the science that uh, mandates all these ridiculous things that they want done? Things like, uh, oh, I don't know, say, uh, universal masking, universal vaccinating, all of these ideas. Who are the people behind that? Uh, what are the ethical standards behind that? Do you trust the science? Do you trust the scientists or the people promoting the science? And who are they and, and what is it that they believe? And tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to delve into a uh, one of their peer-reviewed scientific journals, uh, a very highly regarded scientific journal. This one's called the Journal of Medical Ethics. And uh, within this journal, we're going to read a paper that was submitted and printed in this journal and peer-reviewed. Uh, originally published, it says here, on March 12th, to, or sorry, March 2nd, 2012, and appeared later in the, uh, yes, the, the March issue, I believe it is here. It says, received November, November 25th, 2011, revised the 26th of January, 2012, accepted January 27th, 2012, and then finally published March 2nd, 2012 in uh, issue number 10.1136, MedEthics 2011-100411. And uh, what are we going to talk about here tonight, folks? Well, we're going to give you the moral compass of the people that run the show behind the scenes of our, our medical, quote-unquote, science. Okay, And this is the title of this paper that was submitted in this uh, you know, very prestigious peer-reviewed scientific journal. The paper is titled, After Birth Abortion, Why Should the Baby Live? And it was written by Alberto Gioblini and Francesca Minerva. And uh, just to give you a background, it says here in the footnotes here where these people are from, uh, Alberto Gioblini was from the Department of Philosophy, University of Milan, Milan, Italy, and the Center for Human Bioethics at Monash University, Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. And Francesca Minerva, the other author of this paper, is from the Center for Applied Philosophy and Public Ethics, University of Melbourne, Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. And uh, once again, this was in the journal of medical ethics, and it was under the section Law, Ethics, and Medicine, first published March 2nd, 2012. And we're going to get into the reading here. 
and I will give you some of my opinions of these things, and uh, you'll understand just where I stand on these issues, as I'm sure many of you do. But uh, the, the title, let's get into the reading here. Afterbirth Abortion, Why Should the Baby Live? Abstract. Abortion is largely accepted even for reasons that do not have anything to do with the fetus's health. By showing that, number one, both fetuses and newborns do not have the same moral status as actual persons, number two, the fact that both are potential persons is morally irrelevant, and number three, adoption is not always in the best interest of actual people, the authors argue that what we call afterbirth abortion killing a newborn, it says in parentheses, should be permissible in all the cases where abortion is, including cases where the newborn is not disabled. And I'm going to pause right there, folks. That was the abstract of this paper. These are the people who decide medical policy for you. Do you really think they give two craps about your health? They do not. Let me make this abundantly clear to all of you out there who are quote-unquote trusting the science. These people are just, I, I don't even have the right words to describe them. Despicable, beyond all belief, okay? Um, it This should illustrate for you what kind of intentions that they have for people, the public at large, all right? Just reading that abstract, that one little paragraph abstract right there of this paper should tell you everything you need to know. But we're going to dig in a little deeper here. Because I want you to understand just how evil, how evil, just absurdly evil, some of this quote-unquote medical science is at the topmost levels. All right? And these are the people that will justify anything in the name of the common good. Do you understand where I'm going with this? If they could justify something like this in a paper like this, based upon these different ideas, then... What makes you think, for one second, that they have your best interests at mind? They don't. These people are eugenicists, folks. That's what this is always about. That's what our entire medical system is based on, eugenics. That's what they're doing right now. <clears throat> it's eugenics. Being rolled out in operational form in front of our eyes. Anyway, let's continue with this lovely little paper, shall we? Introduction. Severe abnormalities of the fetus and risks for the physical and or psychological health of the woman are often cited as valid reasons for abortion. Sometimes, the two reasons are connected, such as when a woman claims that a disabled child would represent a risk to her mental health. However, having a child can itself be an unbearable burden for the psychological health of the woman or for her already existing children, regardless of the condition of the fetus. This could happen in the case of a woman who loses her partner after she finds out that she is pregnant and therefore feels she will not be able to take care of the possible child by herself. And I'm going to pause there, folks. So, uh, according to these people, I mean, you know, uh, connect the dots here, make the logical uh, connection here. Okay, so this person potentially say she lost her spouse. Okay, so she doesn't feel like, you know, maybe she could raise a child on her own. So, I know, let's kill the child, too. That, that should make it better, right? That would make it so much easier on her. Rather than just lose one person that she really cares about, lose a part of her as well, or a child. Like, there's nothing more ridiculous than, than that notion right there, first of all, in my view. 
anyway, I don't want to uh, go and uh, really get off on a tangent here. Let's keep reading on. And this is only like four pages long, this, this, uh, this paper, folks. So just bear with me. We'll finish the whole thing tonight. And by the end of it all, you should have a better understanding of who it is that uh, makes these decisions within the auspices of the medical policy being put forward today. It's the same kind of attitudes behind all of this. These are the purveyors of ethics, okay? And, and I've said this before on, on numerous occasions on different shows and stuff I've been on. I will still qualify to this day. Anytime that they have something like this, a journal of medical ethics, or if they have put aside some kind of an ethics committee or something to, to uh, discuss certain things, it's because they inherently already know they're going to do something wrong, and they're just looking for ways to justify that doing that wrong thing. They've already made up their mind. They're going to do what they know is, is morally wrong, okay? But they're just looking for ways to justify it. And that's what this is. This is like... It, ridiculous. It's it's evil. It's evil. Let's put it that way. These people knowingly are doing harm and doing wrong, but they're just trying to make it look like they've got good reasons for it. They're trying to justify their actions. And, you know, this this is the kind of thing that goes on. And these are the kind of people, the intentions of these kind of people uh, that they that have at the top of the, the power structure here. These are the kinds of standards, moral standards, that they put forward, okay? These are the ethics that they, they you know, live by and, and, and try to push on us, the, the public, the common people. Ones who wouldn't think about something as evil and convoluted as this, okay? It's death. It's all caught up in the whole mentality of the death cult. Okay, that's what it's all based on. Eugenics and our modern medical science, it's all based on these death ideas. And and this goes back into the ancient mystery schools, uh, all the way back, like these ideologies. that they, they tie all the way back as far as we could look. And it's this same small group of uh, quote-unquote elites uh, who run the show in a lot of these things. And they... Uh, look to promote this culture of death and that's that's what this is all about i mean uh, I'm, I'm just doing this as a demonstration to you here that uh, the people in the high levels of academia in the medical science community have this type of a mindset okay and have these type of ethical values just so you understand what we're up against and uh, you know these people are not your friends they don't care about your health. They're not doing all of this stuff today with all of these mandates and all these ridiculous uh, uh, things that they, they want going on in the world. They're not doing this for the benefit of your health. They don't give a crap about your health. They're doing this for other reasons, but like everything else, they're trying to glaze it over with some kind of a justification, even if the justification doesn't add up, and people are beginning to see these justifications that they're putting forward for these ideas and these mandates and stuff are not adding up. And this is why, because they are knowingly, knowingly and willfully doing these bad things that they know are morally and ethically wrong and trying to justify them uh, through their reasoning, even if their reasoning doesn't stand to scrutiny. 
See, because they know they're doing wrong. So they're just trying to do everything they can to cover their tracks and make sure that uh, they, they do their best to make the argument that it, they're justified in doing these evil things to people when we know they're not. But uh, let's get back to this, because we could use this, this paper as a case in point to really represent what it is that the values that these people that make these decisions, the values that they represent. So let's get back to reading here. A serious philosophical problem arises when the same conditions that would have justified abortion become known after birth. In such cases, we need to assess facts in order to decide whether the same arguments that apply to killing a human fetus can also be consistently applied to killing a newborn human. And I'm going to pause right there, folks. Do you hear this? They're seriously contemplating justification for infanticide. Literal infanticide. Okay? That's what they're doing in this paper here. All right? Now, uh, spoiler alert here. Before we proceed any further in this, okay, um, just the whole foundation uh, that they're trying to base this argument on. Well, if they're arguing, in fact, that uh, it's okay to kill a newborn baby, well, when does that stop? Like, at what age is the cutoff? Do you, do, you, do you see? And and we'll get there because they, they talk about that in this paper. Okay? Uh, so at what point is just is murder justified? See, and that's exactly what they're doing here. And these are the people that make medical policy in our world and promote medical science in our world. Okay? These are the ones that are experimenting en masse on you right now with this experimental gene therapy that they're passing off as a vaccine this is the intent that they have this is the mindset that they have right here let's continue reading though <clears throat> before i get too outraged too early and go off on a tangent here and uh, go on a rant that nobody wants to listen to such an issue arises, for example, when an abnormality has been detected during pregnancy or occurs during delivery. Perinatal asphyxia, for instance, may cause severe brain damage and result in several or severe mental and or physical impairments comparable with those for which a woman could request an abortion. Moreover, abnormalities are not always or cannot always be diagnosed through prenatal screening even if they have a genetic origin. This is more likely to happen when the disease is not hereditary, but is the result of genetic mutations occurring in the gametes of a healthy parent. One example is the case of Treacher-Collins syndrome, a condition that affects one in every 10,000 births causing facial deformity and related physiological failures, in particular potentially life-threatening respiratory problems. Usually, those affected by TCS are not mentally impaired, and they are therefore fully aware of their condition, of being different from other people, and of all the problems the pathology entails. Many parents would choose to have an abortion if they found out, through genetic prenatal test testing, that their fetus is affected by TCS. However, genetic prenatal tests for TCS are usually taken only if there is a family history of the disease. Sometimes, though, the disease is caused by a gene mutation that intervenes in the gametes of a healthy member of the couple. Moreover, tests for TCS are quite expensive 
and it takes several weeks to get the result. Considering that it is a very rare pathology, we can understand why women are not usually tested for this disorder. However, such rare and severe pathologies are not the only ones that are likely to remain undetected until delivery. Even more common congenital diseases that women are usually tested for could fail to be detected. An examination of 18 European registries reveals that between 2005 and 2009, only the 64% of Down syndrome cases were diagnosed through prenatal testing. This percentage indicates that, considering only the European areas under examination, about 1,700 infants were born with Down syndrome without parents being aware of it beforehand. Once this, these children are born, there is no choice for the parents but to keep the child, which sometimes is exactly what they would not have done if the disease had been diagnosed for, before birth. And I'm going to pause there, folks. So, you know, sorry, this is a human being. This is not a puppy, okay? Oh, ye, their only choice is but to keep the child now. Really? Th this kind of thing just makes me so infuriated right here. Uh, this kind of thing all right down syndrome yes i mean it's it does have its its problems and stuff but those people are not any more or less uh you know i just don't even know what to say with this it just frustrates me to no end people with down syndrome are not any less human than anybody else let's put it that way they have feelings and hopes and dreams and everything else like everyone else they're just different Okay, they have some differences from your, your neurotypical person. That's all. Maybe some physiological differences, but that's the thing. Not everybody's born totally 100% healthy. Do you see the fingerprints of eugenics all over all of this? And these are just the arguments that they're using to uh, argue for this idea of infanticide, folks. They're arguing for infanticide by, by stating things like uh, Down syndrome or Treacher Collins uh, syndrome. These type of things, you know, how there's difficulties associated with that. And maybe parents don't want to have to be burdened with those uh, different troubles that come along with a diagnosis like that. Well, that's a, that's a terrible, terrible, terrible argument in my view. Okay, I love my children. Um, my children, they do have some medical problems as well. Uh, I, I, I would still take care of them regardless and, and want the best for them. And uh, I would not want to, uh, you know, think of them in a way like they're presenting here where you ha the parents have no choice but to keep the child then. Uh, even knowing beforehand if something was wrong, I would still want to do my very best for my children, see. And, and that's an attitude here that they, these people don't have. Uh, they have a very anti-human type quality to them, these people uh, who promote this type of stuff. So let, let's continue reading there. I'll, I'll get off my soapbox for a minute. <clears throat> abortion and afterbirth abortion. Euthanasia in infants has been proposed by philosophers for children with severe abnormalities whose lives can be expected to be not worth living and who are experiencing unbearable suffering going to pause there folks who makes that determination that somebody's life isn't worth living think about that for a minute before we continue see do you understand the games they play here 
These are such weak arguments, but they will use them to justify this action. Okay. Anyway, let's continue reading. Also, medical professionals have recognized the need for guidelines about cases in which death seems to be in the best interest of the child. Gonna pause there again, really? Medical professionals? I don't know any medical professionals that have recognized the need for guidelines about cases in which death seems to be in the best interest of a child. Do you know any medical professionals that uh, would, would say that? That there has to be guidelines to recognize when death is in the best interest of a child? Uh, this stuff makes... Uh, this is why I, I haven't covered this paper uh, previously until this point. But I, I think we need to drive the point home that the people running the show right now, they're not your friends. They don't give two craps about your health. They never did. They never will. Okay? This is their attitude. The more children they could kill, the better. That's their attitude. That's the spirit behind them, folks. This is the Antichrist spirit, alive and well here in America, and putting its footprint all over the place. Okay? Recognize it for what it is. It's pure, unmitigated evil, and they're running the show right now, and they're ramping it up in a big way. And these are the attitudes that they have towards us. Okay? Towards our innocent children. You know, the ones that they... Uh, are insisting now they have to wear a friggin' mask to school all day, cover their breath, block their spirit from their body. Do you understand? Do you get it yet? These people are evil, okay? Not the medical system or the doctors or anything like that. The the ones in the trenches just doing doing the work and doing their best to raise their families and and treat their patients. Not those people, folks. Don't don't get, you know, confused here. It's the top of the power structure that's the problem. It's not the people in the trenches doing the work. They're just following their orders and they're doing what they think is right because they've been indoctrinated with this crap in their head in medical school. Okay? So so don't take it out on them. They're just doing what they think is best, what they think the science shows. Okay? What they're taught and indoctrinated into in school. Anyway, let's continue on before I go off on another little rant. In the Netherlands, for instance, the Groningen Protocol allows to actively terminate the life of infants with a hopeless prognosis who experience what parents and medical experts deem to be unbearable suffering. Although it is reasonable to predict that living with a very severe condition is against the best interest of the newborn, it is hard to find definitive arguments to the effect that life with certain pathologies is not worth living, even when those pathologies would constitute acceptable reasons for abortion. It might be maintained that even allowing for the more optimistic assessments of the potential of Down syndrome children, this potential cannot be said to be equal to that of a normal child. But in fact, people with Down syndrome, as well as people affected by many other severe disabilities, are often reported to be happy. And I'm going to pause there, folks. See again how they're drawing the line to something like Down syndrome? See? Down syndrome, in my view... Uh, many people who have Down syndrome do live happy, fulfilled lives. Okay? That's, that's, it's not a diagnosis that means that uh, you're doomed. Okay? And that's how they present it here. Like, it's such a burden for the parents. And it's such a burden 
Like, really? Despicable. These people are despicable. Let me continue reading, though. Nonetheless, to bring up such children might be an unbearable burden on the family and on society as a whole. When the state economically provides for their care, going to pause there, folks. Do you see what they just did there? It, it might be unbearable, an unbearable burden on the family and on society as a whole when the state economically provides for their care. So they're using the government option there. See? Oh, it's a burden on the government, on society as a whole, on the greater good. Do you see what they're doing here? Like I said, unmitigated evil, folks. This is the Antichrist spirit rampant in America right now. Rampant all over the world. Okay? But these are, these are the attitudes that the people that plan these different agendas have. Okay? Anyway, let's continue with the reading. On these grounds, the fact that a fetus has the potential to become a person who will have an at least acceptable life is no reason for prohibiting abortion. Therefore, we argue that when circumstances occur after birth, such as such that they would be, have just let me start that again. Therefore, we argue that when circumstances occur after birth, such that they would have justified abortion. What we call afterbirth abortion should be permissible. And I'm going to pause there, folks. They're calling it afterbirth abortion. I call it infanticide or murder. Okay? They're saying they think murder should be permissible. Let's, let's, let's not sugarcoat it. See? So, therefore, we argue when circumstances occur after birth such that they would have justified abortion, what we call afterbirth abortion, abortion should be permissible. So they're calling for the legal murder of babies, folks. That's exactly what they're doing here. Anyway, let's continue reading because it's going to get worse from here because now, right now, they're, they're, they're keying up, they're teeing up their argument here with, okay, well, the, the baby, you know, is born with defects or, or some kind of un bearable type of uh, uh, condition, genetic conditions and things like that. Some type of a medical problem that would make life unbearable for them. So that's how they're teeing this up. Do you see where they're going? But let's continue reading because you're going to hear more coming right from their mouths that, that's even more despicable yet. Let, let's continue on. In spite of the oxymoron in the expression, we propose to call this practice afterbirth abortion rather than infanticide to emphasize that the moral status of the individual killed is comparable with that of a fetus on which abortions in the traditional sense are performed rather than to that of a child. Therefore, we claim that killing a newborn could be ethically permissible in all the circumstances where abortion would be. Such circumstances include cases where the newborn has the potential to have an at least acceptable life, but the well-being of the family is at risk. Accordingly, a second terminological specification is that we call such a practice afterbirth abortion rather than euthanasia because the best interest of the one who dies is not necessarily the primary criterion for the choice, contrary to what happens in the case of euthanasia. And I'm going to pause there, folks. Did you catch all that? Did you hear all of that? Okay, there, there, there they go, doing 
what they know to be morally and ethically wrong. Um, and, uh, you know, instead of calling it what it is, murder or infanticide, uh, they prefer to use a more politically correct title for it, after birth abortion, see, because, you know, don't you know, uh, you know, an infant doesn't have any more rights than a fetus? That that's that's the argument they're using, folks. <coughs> that's the argument they're using. Okay, they they refer to them as being a potential person, a potential person. See, they they don't even view this being as human. Okay, this this is how they look upon us. All right, and they don't want to call it euthanasia because it's not necessarily in the best interest of the one being killed. Okay? Do you hear what they're saying here? Uh, like, this this is evil, folks. Evil. Anyway. Let's continue reading. And I'm sure I'm going to start ranting again at some point here very soon. Failing to bring a new person into existence cannot be compared with the wrong caused by procuring the death of an existing person. The reason is that, unlike the case of death of an existing person, failing to bring a new person into existence does not prevent anyone from accomplishing any of her future aims. However, this consideration entails a much stronger idea than the one according to which severely handicapped children should be euthanized. If the death of a newborn is not wrongful to her on the grounds that she cannot have formed any aim that she is prevented from accomplishing, then it should also be permissible to practice an afterbirth abortion on a healthy newborn too, given that she has not formed any aim yet. Gonna pause there, folks. Did you catch that? Did you see what they do now? Alright, first they tee it up by talking about uh, people with severe medical disabilities and how you know the it's not right you know if they have a life that's not worth living blah 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 then that would be acceptable and they've turned it over to completely this to where uh in after practice let me see then it, here's their words again i'm going to quote them right here and then it should also be permissible to practice an afterbirth abortion on a healthy newborn too given that she has not formed any aim yet Okay, so they're arguing this is not a real person yet because they haven't, uh, they don't have any goals that we're keeping them from yet. It's a, it's a newborn baby, folks. They're not going to have goals formulated for themselves yet. They're not capable at that point. See, and that's what they're. Th this is the most innocent, innocent, innocent uh, uh, life on earth, and they're talking about murdering it, murdering a baby. Okay. These people are sick, sick in the head, twisted, evil. This is the Antichrist spirit, folks. It's anti-life. It's against life. It's the death cult at work here. All right. Let's get back to the reading here. There are two reasons which, taken together, justify this claim. Here we go. Let's listen to this now. Let me read that again. There are two reasons which, taken together, justify this claim. Number one. The moral status of an infant is equivalent to that of a fetus. That is, neither can be considered a person in a morally relevant sense. Number two, it is not possible to damage a newborn by preventing her from developing the potentiality to become a person in the morally relevant sense. 
we are going to justify these two points in the following two sections. All right, going to pause there, folks. So they just laid out their reasoning here. So they're saying, uh, you know, the moral status of an infant is, is equivalent to that of a fetus. And that is, neither can be considered a person in a morally relevant sense. And uh, who's the one that make, gets to make that distinction, folks? What is a person? Okay. Once again, they're drawing on the whole legal fiction idea here because they're using it as a basis to murder people. Do you get it? To murder human beings. They're using the justification of this whole legal fiction, the idea of personhood or, or whatever you want to call it, that they, they tie directly to birth certification and stuff like that uh, within the legal aspect of things. They're tying that into this and claiming that uh, they, these people don't, because they're a, a newborn or a fetus, they don't morally qualify as being a person yet. They're just potential persons. And, and we'll get to that. Let's, let's continue reading on here. <clears throat> Excuse me while I clear my throat for a minute. The newborn and the fetus are morally equivalent. The moral status of an infant is equivalent to that of a fetus in the sense that both lack those properties that justify the attribution of a right to life to an individual. Really? I'm going to pause there, folks. This, this hubristic garbage that these people spew. Who in the hell are you to determine that this baby does not have a right to life as an individual? Okay. I, I, hmm, this, this frosts me to no end, but that's, that's who these people are. They, they really, they're sick, they're twisted, they're evil. And these are the ones that make up medical policy, folks. They're the ones that are coming up with all these wonderful mandates for you, okay? This is what the science says they tell uh, these these trolls we have in government, these corrupt politicians. This is what the science says. This is what they tell them, okay? This is what the science says. The science says that, uh, you know, we all evolved from monkeys, or we have a common ancestor with monkeys. Let's be more correct, okay, on their scientific terms. We, we came from a common ancestor with monkeys. And, uh, you know, evolution, blah, 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 blah. They, they love evolution, folks. And it's all based on eugenics ideas, and it's all based on fraud, all of it. But anyway, not to get too much of a tangent here. Let's read on, even though I know this is going to get me more angry. <laughs> okay. Both a fetus and a newborn certainly are human beings and potential persons, but neither is a person in the sense of su subject of a moral right to life. Okay, let me read that again. Let it sink in for you. So here it is. Here they're, they're acknowledging the truth of the matter. Both a fetus and a newborn certainly are human beings and potential persons. See, there, there's where there's the distinction that ends right there. They're acknowledging the truth that both a fetus and a newborn are certainly human beings. But then they say, and potential persons. See, once again, they're dividing the actual, real, natural human being from the legal fiction, the potential person. See, and what's what they're doing uh, with this idea is separating your God-given natural rights uh, from what would be rights drawn from the state, okay? 
So that's why they're they're making that distinction there. So if you're you're born into their system, see, and they you know take you into the their medical system, uh, then you uh, are assigned legal fiction personhood, and then they could have some say over you. Understand? Uh, anyway. But let's continue the reading here. But then it says, But neither is a person in the sense of subject of a moral right to life. See? So they're, they're saying here that uh, you don't necessarily have a moral right to life. Just because you're a human being. Do you see the, the stance they're taking here? Let's continue reading. This is their own words, and this is their convoluted evil view on things. We take person to mean an individual who is capable of attributing to her own existence some, at least, basic value such that being deprived of this existence represents a loss to her. This means that many non-human animals and mentally retarded human individuals are persons, but that all the individuals who are not in the condition of attributing any value of their own existence are not persons. Merely being human is not in itself a reason for ascribing someone a right to life. I'm going to read that last sentence. I'm going to pause there, folks. That's not the end of the paragraph here, but I'm going to read that sentence to you. And uh, I will, I'm going to read it again. Let it sink in. Merely being human is not in itself a reason for ascribing someone a right to life. Merely being human is not in itself a reason for ascribing someone a right to life. <sighs> Alright, I'm going to continue reading here. And then I'm going to try to hold back my diatribe until the very end. Uh, but let's, let's continue on. Indeed, many humans are not considered subjects of a right to life. Spare embryos, where research on embryo stem cells is permitted. Fetuses, where abortion is permitted. Criminals, where capital punishment is legal. Let's continue on. Our point here is that, although it is hard to exactly determine when a subject starts or ceases to be a person, a necessary condition for a subject to have a right to X is that she is harmed by a decision to deprive her of X. There are many ways in which an individual can be harmed, and not all of them require that she values or is even aware of what she is deprived of. A person might be harmed when someone steals from her the winning lottery ticket even if she will never find out that her ticket was the winning one or a person might be harmed if something were done to her at the stage of fetus which affects for the worse her quality of life as a person e.g. her mother took drugs during pregnancy even if she is not aware of it However, in such cases, we are talking about a person who is at least in the condition to value the different situation she would have found herself in if she had not been harmed. And such a condition depends on the level of her mental development, which in turn determines whether or not she is a person. Gonna pause there, folks. Did you catch all that gobbledygook right there? So basically, they're coming up with more reasoning for justifying the killing of babies, okay? And they, they use the argument, well, they're, they're not really people. They're potential people. See, I, I, 
it, this this is infuriating. It really is. How do you deal with somebody who has this attitude or, or takes this kind of a stance on the subject of life? Okay? It's a death cult, folks. These people, that they know, they know that this is not morally or ethically sound, the things they're presenting here. But they're coming up with their best arguments for justifying it, do you see? And so doing, they're dehumanizing infants, babies, young children. They're dehumanizing them. Putting them, you know, in equivalence with animals. They, they just said that in the previous paragraph there. They were talking about, uh, you know, an animal being on par with an infant. Do, do you see how they, they play these games to justify these things that they know, they know are wrong? That's the whole point of ethics committees and, and you know, all of these ethics type uh, things here. Because they know they're doing something wrong. They know it. And they want to justify it because they, they're going to do it anyway, even though they know it's wrong. So, <clears throat> that's the thing here. But anyway, let's continue with the reading and let's see what other despicable things they have to say here. Those who are only capable of experiencing pain and pleasure, like perhaps fetuses and certainly newborns, have a right not to be inflicted pain. If, in addition to experiencing pain and pleasure, an individual is capable of making any aims, like actual human and non-human persons, she is harmed if she is prevented from accomplishing her aims by being killed. Now, hardly can a newborn be said to have aims, as the future we imagine for it is merely a projection of our minds on its potential lives. It might start having expectations and develop a minimum level of self-awareness at a very early stage, but not in the first days or few weeks after birth. On the other hand, not only aims but also well-developed plans are concepts that certainly apply to those people, parents, siblings, society, it says in parentheses, who could be negatively or positively affected by the birth of that child. Therefore, the rights and interests of the actual people involved should represent the prevailing consideration in a decision about abortion and afterbirth abortion. And I'm going to pause there, folks. So they're saying, you know, this baby... Uh, in a very early stage, you know, uh, doesn't have any plans or anything like that, uh, that all that's really there is our, our expectation of their potential lives. Uh, so it, it can't be said that, you know, they're an actual person, see. And it says here that, uh, on the other hand, uh, the those people who could be negatively affected or you know, by the birth of the child, the parents, the siblings, society, it also says there, putting that caveat in there, um, they, they could actually be affected by that. So they should be the ones to make the decision whether this child lives or dies, see. Uh, so once again, it's, it's setting this very dangerous type of a, a precedent here. This is what they're, they're claiming here. This is their words, not mine. Um, anyway, Let's go back to the reading once again. It is true that a particular moral status can be attached to a non-person by virtue of the value an actual person, e.g. the mother, attributes to it. However, this subjective, and it says it in parentheses there, 
or not parentheses, uh, quotation marks. However, this subjective account of the moral status of a newborn does not debunk our previous argument. Going to pause there, folks. So they're saying that even though, you know, maybe a mother can attribute to this non-person value, uh, that's subjective. And uh, that, that doesn't, you know, negate their other argument. So uh, screw what the mother thinks. That's what they're saying here. Screw what the mother thinks. That might not be important. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Uh, come on, man. These people are out of their friggin' minds. Um, okay, let's continue reading and see what else they say. Let us imagine that a woman is pregnant with two identical twins who are affected by genetic disorders. In order to cure one of the embryos, the woman is given the option to use the other twin to develop a therapy. If she agrees, she attributes to the first embryo the status of future child, and to the other one the status of a mere means to cure the future child. However, the different moral status does not spring from the fact that the person that, sorry, that the does not spring from the fact that the first one is a person and the other is not, which would be nonsense, given that they are identical. Rather, the different moral statuses only depends on the particular value the woman projects on them. However, such a projection is exactly what does not occur when a newborn, be when a newborn becomes a burden to its family. And I'm going to pause there, folks. This whole scenario that they, they touted just then is utter nonsense and bilge and crap. Crap. Uh, anyway, let's continue on. It says, uh, let's, let's go back and read that last line again in that section. However, such a projection is exactly what does not occur when a newborn becomes a burden to its family. So, once again, they're making the argument there that... Uh, <coughs> Just because it's a newborn, it has the same uh, rights as a fetus, or lack of rights. Okay, let's continue reading, though. <laughs> Excuse me. The fetus and the newborn are potential persons. Although fetuses and newborns are not persons, they are potential persons because they can develop, thanks to their own biological mechanisms, those properties which will make them persons in the sense of subjects of a moral right to life, that is, the point at which they will be able to make aims and appreciate their own life. Going to pause there, folks. Do you hear that? The fetus and the newborn are potential persons. They're not real people, okay? If you have a newborn baby, that's not a person. That's a potential person. Do you hear? They, 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 they turn you into a thing. They're trying to turn a human being into a thing, okay? That's how they view you. That's how they view human beings. It's, it's a thing. It's... A toy to be played with however they they see fit okay uh, it, it's ridiculous anyway let's let's continue reading it might be claimed that someone is harmed because she is prevented from becoming a person capable of appreciating her own being alive thus for example one might say that we would have been harmed if our mothers had chosen to have an abortion while they were pregnant with us or if they had killed us as soon as we were born 
However, whereas you can benefit someone by bringing her into existence, if her life is worth living, it makes no sense to say that someone is harmed by being prevented from becoming an actual person. The reason is that, by virtue of our definition of the concept of harm in the previous section, in order for a harm to occur, it is necessary that someone is in the condition of experiencing that harm. And I'm going to pause there, folks. Do you see these games they play? Well, we're going to define what harm is, and in so doing, then we could define whether somebody's being harmed or not. They, they, they play these games, these, these people who think they're so smart and brilliant and savvy, and, oh, I trust the science, oh, the science. See, it's evil, folks. Anyway, let's continue reading here. We're almost done. We're on the last page now, because, honestly, I don't know how much more of this crap I could, I could read. If a potential person, like a fetus and a newborn, does not become an actual person like you and us, then there is neither an actual nor a future person who can be harmed, which means that there is no harm at all. So if you ask one of us if we would have been harmed had our parents decided to kill us when we were fetuses or newborns, our answer is no, because they would have harmed someone who does not exist. The us, whom you are asking the question, which means no one. And if no one is harmed, then no harm occurred. And I'm going to pause there, folks. Do you like that logic? Is that sound logic? Those are the utterings of a crazy person. A psychopath. These people are friggin' psychopaths. Do you understand their mindset, where they come from? They don't see any harm or any wrongdoing here with killing a baby. And, and hold on, it's going to get worse before we get to the end here, folks. Let's continue reading. A consequence of this position is that the interests of actual people override the interest of merely potential people to become actual ones. This does not mean that the interests of actual people always override any right of future generations, as we should certainly consider the well-being of people who will inhabit the planet in the future. And I'm going to pause there, folks. Do you understand why they do the things they do now? Hmm? Let's read that again. That sentence again. Let it ingest, ingest this sentence so that you understand their viewpoint. This does not mean that the interests of actual people always override any right of future generations, as we should certainly consider the well-being of people who will inhabit the planet in the future. See, so when it's handy for them, they'll consider the future generations, but when it's not expedient for their agenda... They could care less about their children and grandchildren, folks. That's what it, the bottom line is. This is like, this is the way they think, okay? Me, me, me. Now, now, now. Mine, mine, mine. This is the attitude. This is the secular humanist attitude, okay? These people have lost all their spiritual ground here. They've lost it. They have no, no moral compass anymore. They've bought in wholeheartedly to this whole hyper-materialist paradigm. Okay? The, you know, the, everything is physical, and this, this is it. Like, uh, everything here. Uh, there's no God. Th this is the kind of stuff they believe. There's no God. 
only man, see, and man can be God. So it's do what feels good, and that's it. That's that's their whole mentality. Uh, this is the whole idea of, uh, you know, the, the whole philosophy that undergirds all of their thinking. It's it's like the secular humanism thing. Uh, it's It's moral relativism, see, and they use it as a justification for everything. Anyway, let's let's continue on. <clears throat> Our focus is on the right to become a particular person and not on the right to have a good life once someone will have started to be a person. In other words, we are talking about particular individuals who might or might not become particular persons depending on our choice, and not about those who will certainly exist in the future, but whose identity does not depend on what we choose now. The alleged right of individuals, such as fetuses and newborns, to develop their potentiality, which someone defends, is overridden by the interests of actual people. And it says in parentheses here, parents, family, society. Okay, they, they include society, not just parents or families, society. So that way they could uh, stick their whole government idea in there. So government gets to decide, see, that kind of thing, society. And it says here, let's continue on, to pursue their own well-being because, as we have just argued, merely potential people cannot be harmed by not being brought into existence. Actual people's well-being could be threatened by the new, even if healthy, child requiring energy, money, and care which the family might happen to be in short supply of. Sometimes this situation can be prevented through an abortion, but in some other cases, this is not possible. In these cases, since non-persons have no moral rights to life, there are no reasons for banning after-birth abortions. Gonna pause there, folks. <sighs> Did you hear that? It's an outright calling for killing infants. Right there. Infanticide. It, it, you know, there's nothing morally wrong with that, they're arguing. Because, you know, th this baby puts a drain on, you know, the, the parents and the family and society. Don't you know? That's, you know, it puts an unnecessary drain on society. Anyway. Let's continue reading. We might still have moral duties toward future generations in spite of these future people not existing yet. But because we take it for granted that such people will exist, whoever they will be, we must treat them as actual persons of the future. This argument, however, does not apply to this particular newborn or infant because we are not justified in taking it for granted that she will exist as a person in the future. Whether she will exist is exactly what our choice is about. I'm going to pause there again, folks. You see, this is the my body, my choice crowd. Uh, that, you know, that whole my body, my choice crowd. You know, the ones who are out there saying everybody should get vaccinated. It should be mandatory. You know, th those those hypocrites out there. The ones yelling my body, my choice. When they're actually, you know, in the camp that justifies murdering children. Okay. And, uh, you know, then they're claiming moral superiority. Oh, you're, you don't, you know, you're, you're greedy. You're, you know, you're a bad person. You won't get vaccinated. You should get vaccinated for the sake of others. Yeah, right. Stuff it. I'm so tired of hearing that nonsense, too, from the my body, my choice crowd. Yeah, 
Stuff it. Anyway, let's get back to the reading here. <clears throat> Adoption. As an alternative to afterbirth abortion, and it says with a question mark, it says, a possible objection to our argument is that afterbirth abortion should be practiced just on potential people who could never have a life worth living. Accordingly, healthy and potentially happy people should be given up for adoption if the family cannot raise them up. Why should we kill a healthy newborn when giving it up for adoption would not breach anyone's right, but possibly increase the happiness of the people involved, adopters and adoptee? Our reply is the following. We have previously discussed the argument from potentiality, showing that it is not strong enough to outweigh the consideration of the interests of actual people. Indeed, however weak the interests of actual people can be, they will always trump the alleged interest of potential people to become actual ones because this latter interest amounts to zero. On this perspective, the interests of the actual people involve matter, and among these interests we also need to consider the interests of the mother who might suffer psychological distress from giving her child up for adoption. And I'm going to pause there, folks. Oh, I'm going to be psychologically distressed if I give up this child for adoption, but not if I kill it. Do you hear that? Are these people friggin' serious? Uh, the... Uh, this makes me so angry. So very angry. This is evil. I'm sorry. You are not justified in your incoherent ramblings here, you friggin' morons. I don't know what in the world science degrees you have. You do not belong on any kind of a bioethics committee, you friggin' monsters. This is despicable. Absolutely despicable. This is a... This is a spiritual war we're in, folks. And this is the spirit of Antichrist these people represent in this paper here. This is disgusting. Disgusting. Anyway, let's continue reading. We're almost done. Uh, where did I leave off? Okay, right here. Where the, uh, the interest of the mother who might suffer psychological distress from giving up her child for adoption. Yeah, okay, because she's not going to be distressed about killing her own infant. No. Anyway, let's continue on. Birth mothers are often reported to experience serious psychological problems due to the inability to elaborate their loss and to cope with their grief. It is true that grief and sense of loss may accompany both abortion and afterbirth abortion, as well as adoption, but we cannot assume that for the birth mother, the latter is the least traumatic. For example... Those who grieve a death must accept the irreversibility of the loss, but natural mothers often dream that their child will return to them. This makes it difficult to accept the reality of the loss because they can never be quite sure whether or not it is irreversible. I'm going to pause there, folks. Just the mere fact that they're saying it's... It, it, what, what they're saying here in a nutshell is it's, it's preferable to kill the child. That way the mother accepts the loss as real rather than you know, maybe having any potential hope that they might be able to reunite with their child someday in the future. That's disgusting and despicable and inhuman. Sorry, folks. That stance is inhuman. It's disgusting. It's despicable. It's evil. It's born in the pits of hell. Anyway, let's, let's go on. We only have like three paragraphs left. 
We are not suggesting that these are definitive reasons against adoption as a valid alternative to afterbirth abortion. Much depends on circumstances and psychological reactions. What we are suggesting is that if interests of actual people should prevail, then afterbirth abortion should be considered a permissible option for women who would be damaged by giving up their newborns for adoption. Really? So, you know, it should be it should be okay to kill the baby rather than give him up for adoption. See, because, you know, it affects this mother's rights or, or th this is the logic's not there. Sorry, folks. As much as they want to argue it, they morally know they are in the wrong, but they're trying to justify their stance. Conclusions. Here we go. Conclusions. If criteria such as the costs, and it says in parentheses, social, psychological, economic, for the potential parents are good enough reasons for having an abortion even when the fetus is healthy, if the moral status of the newborn is the same as that of the infant, and if neither has any moral value by virtue of being a potential person, then the same reasons which justify abortion should also justify the killing of the potential person when it is at the stage of a newborn. Two considerations need to be added. First, we do not put forward any claim about the moment at which afterbirth abortion would no longer be permissible, and we do not think that, in fact, more than a few days would be necessary for doctors to detect any abnormality in the child. And I'm going to pause there, folks. Did you hear their little caveat that they left in there? We do not put forward any claim about the moment at which afterbirth abortion would no longer be permissible. And See... So, how old of a child is it okay to murder? Well, we're not going to say that. I mean, you know, the doctor should know if there's any kind of abnormalities within maybe a few days. Uh, but that's about all we'll say. Did, did you hear that? So, you know, th this leaves wiggle room for justifying the murder of children. Not just infants, children. Anyway, let's read on. In cases where the afterbirth abortion were requested for non-medical reasons, we do not suggest any threshold. Going to pause there. Did you catch that? Let's continue reading. I'll start that sentence over again. In cases where the afterbirth abortion were requested for non-medical reasons, we do not suggest any threshold, as it depends on the neurological development of newborns, which is something neurologists and psychologists would be able to assess. Second, we do not claim that afterbirth abortions are good alternatives to abortion. Abortions at an early stage are the best option for both psychological and physical reasons. However, if a disease has not been detected during the pregnancy, if something went wrong during the delivery, or if economical, social, or psychological circumstances change such that taking care of the offspring becomes an unbearable burden on someone, then people should be given the chance of not being forced to do something they cannot afford. And that's the end of the paper, folks. Uh, but did you catch that little bit in there where it says... Uh, uh, abortions at an early stage are the best option for both psychological and physical reasons. So see, they're shifting the Overton window here. They're, they're showing you afterbirth abortion. You know, this is something that's unthinkable even still to this day for most people. But, you know, they're putting 
They're shifting the window into view where early-term abortion is an acceptable thing. See, that's exactly what they're doing here. They're claiming that that's the best alternative. So, it's ridiculous. And these people who harp on and on about ethics and they talk about uh, people should be given the chance of not being forced to do something that they don't want to do, Hmm, what are they trying to force people to do now that they don't want to do? You could stick your ethics, you know where, where the sun doesn't shine. You people are despicable, you're evil, you're horrible, you're corrupt to the core, and uh, you're going to get what's coming to you sometime soon. Uh, and, and that's the bottom line. Uh, so here's the thing. Remember, folks, it's a spiritual battle we're in. Okay, with very real physical effects on human beings here in the real world. And these people who are in positions of power within the medical science uh, sector of society who make uh, policy decisions, this is the attitude they have. These are the belief systems they uphold. This is the core of who they are running the show in the world today. These are the ones that are saying, put on your mask. Go get your third vaccine. Get your vaccines. Put on your mask. You need to be safe. This is for the health. Do you want to kill grandma? They want to kill your babies, folks. They want to be justified in murdering children in cold blood. See? And they're the ones that are out there trying to shame you because you don't want to wear the mask or get the vaccine. And they're out there trying to shame you. Oh, shame on them, folks. Woe be unto them. Because I'm telling you, I, I mean, the Lord is not going to tolerate much more of this insanity. So get your hearts right with God, folks. That's the bottom line here. Get your heart, your mind, and your soul right with the Lord because we're approaching a time where God's not going to hold back his wrath from these people any longer. Because this is this is this despicable despicable paper was born in the pits of hell, okay? And these people putting out these ideas out there into the medical community, the medical community, you know, the ones that swore the oath first do no harm. They're promoting infanticide, infanticide, murdering children. See, and then they're out, you try, out here trying to shame you because you don't want to wear a mask because you know they're worthless. And you don't want to get some experimental medical treatment done to you because you know it's potentially going to kill you within five years. And they have the gall, the unmitigated gall, to stand up and try to publicly shame you because you don't want to participate in their satanic ritual. Shame on them. Woe be unto them. May God have mercy on their souls. That's all I have to say about that. May God have mercy on their souls, folks. I'm telling you, it's a spiritual war that we're in, and it's getting pretty heated right about now. It's getting... To the point where, you know, God's not going to tolerate much more. And God's people are not going to tolerate it much more. We can't afford to sit back and let evil run rampant in the streets and do nothing. 
The time for complacency is gone. It's time to stand up and make your voice heard. Do not accept this nonsense. Do not tolerate it. Do not go along with their little stupid mandates and everything else, all their ridiculous actions that they want you to do for them. Do the little song and dance for them. Go out there and obey their little stupid uh, mandates and caveats and things like that that they have said. It's wrong, and they know it's wrong. And all of these corporations and these companies that are imposing these things on their employees and all of this stuff... uh, May God have mercy on their souls, too, the people that run those corporations, because it, this is, it's, it's gotten really, really bad, folks. Really bad. At first, it was government mandates. Well, now the government's taken a step back from that, in many cases. And now they leave it up to the individual businesses, and the individual corporations, and then they're out there. Uh, doing all these mask mandates and, oh, well, you have to get the vaccine to work here and you have to have the vaccine to come here. And New York City is ridiculous. If, if you accept this vaccine passport thing, folks, like, you're out of your friggin' mind. You're giving up your humanity, okay? If you're willing to do that, if you're willing to take a vaccine passport, if you're willing to participate in that system, you're giving away your very soul, Okay, don't make any mistake about it. This is a precursor to the mark of the beast. This whole situation. A vaccine passport, the whole nine yards. Let's not be ambiguous about it. This is the Antichrist system being snapped into place before your eyes. We are living in the times of the book of Revelation right in front of our faces. And people are blind to it. It's been written in the Holy Scripture for millennia now. Okay, it's talked about these things, and people aren't taking it seriously. They aren't taking it seriously. And, uh, you know, from a spiritual point of view, they need to take this seriously. It's a spiritual battle that we're in. It's a battle for the human soul and the human mind and the human spirit. And, uh, you know, these people are... The cult of death, when it comes down to it, they're not about life or human spirit or happiness or or, uh, success or any, any of these things, health, happiness, all these things, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. These are our certain unalienable rights granted to us by God, okay, and recognized in the Constitution of the United States. That piece of paper does not give you your rights, folks. Your rights are given to you from God, from the Creator. If you don't acknowledge a Creator, then you're a fool. Because you don't have any rights then. See, and these people will trample you underfoot. Because they know that, too. Your rights are derived from God. No man can take them away from you. The only way you can lose them is if you give them up willingly. And that's what these people count on. You have a right to life, you have a right to liberty, and you have a right to pursue happiness. Those are given to you by our Creator, by God. And no man can take those away from you unless you lay them down willingly to them. And these people are trying to take that from you. Don't give it up. Stand up, be strong. Now's not the time for cowards or weaklings. We need to stand up and say, no, we're not going to participate in this nonsense anymore. Stand up and take back your rights as a human being. 
as a child of God. This is not right, and it's not going to stand the test of time. None of it. And uh, these these despicable people in charge, like I said, I just wanted to illustrate the point to you folks. These are the kind of people who are making up these mandates and putting these policies out for you to follow. And they laugh at you. They laugh at you when you obey them. You walk around like a sheep with your mask on, standing six feet apart from everybody, afraid. They laugh at you. It's, it's ridiculous. It's a spiritual battle. So get your hearts right with God. Get your soul right with God. That's all I got to say. Anyway, folks, thanks for hanging out with me tonight and listening to me rant. I just thought it was important that people understand who it is we're dealing with here. And that's it. Have a good night. Come with me. Fantasy. Fantasy.